Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business Podcast, brought to you by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parik. As a serial entrepreneur, I'm passionate about sharing the stories of entrepreneurs and learning about why they do what they do. On this show, we share perspectives on all sides of the side hustle to small business journey, the challenges, the triumphs, and everything in between. We've produced 15 episodes on this season of Side Hustle to Small Business. With each entrepreneur I've met, I'm blown away by the tenacity, drive, and conviction of these small business owners. In episode 10, we met Jen Price, who had to pivot business models because of the pandemic. We spoke with entrepreneurs like Sean Fury in episode three and Corey Washington in episode 13, who are both working full-time jobs while growing their side hustles. I know that starting your own business comes with its own unique set of challenges and an exciting sense of ownership. On this last week of Pride Month, we're sharing the stories of four different entrepreneurs, all a part of the LGBTQIA community. Though their businesses span across industries and states, they all have something in common. They're navigating the challenges of starting a business while also navigating their way towards sustainable growth, success, and happiness as queer entrepreneurs. But what are the challenges unique to this community? What is the purpose of assembling these stories in one episode? Throughout our multiple interviews, we've gotten just a taste of the obstacles that these founders have overcome and the joy they've experienced in shared community and customer support. We're excited to share their stories, their perspectives on what still needs to change and what their hopes are for the future. Act one, Andrew Roby. To start off, we'll take you to the nation's capital. Andrew Roby is an event planner, army veteran, and founder of Andrew Roby Events. Hey, I'm Andrew Roby, founder and director of Andrew Roby Events, an event planning firm in DC. Yeah, it's so weird how I started uh, event planning because I'm an army veteran. And so uh, I spent, you know, almost 10 years dealing with chemical, biological and nuclear weapons, you know, in the army and teaching people how to defend themselves from that. So then transitioning over to be an event planner is like polar opposites. Uh, But I started off really by helping a friend plan a birthday party um, who needed a lot of help and didn't have, you know, anyone to really help them because it was a last minute, you know, decision. And I somehow did it really well. And the people there were like, hey, you should continue this or think about doing this. And that literally just started and I I did another event and that event bombed like I was so bad at you know trying to do events and I'm like I thought I was really good but I wasn't but I stuck with it and you know learned a lot the on the job training thing was definitely something (laughs) that saved me but uh it has really been then and what 16 years now since I've been uh planning events so I'm glad that I stuck with it because I absolutely love it As Andrew's event planning business grew, he started realizing the lack of diversity in the event planning space. With this realization, he didn't sit still. Instead, he started to take action. There's a challenge no matter what you do or who you are um, as a person. So in the last two years, I have faced so much adversity when it comes to one, being a black person 
in the event space because um, there isn't a lot of people that are um, Black in this industry that are high visibility, right? Um, and then when you add on other things, being, you know, people are being queer, especially being male, it's it, it just adds on to how much people use to withhold opportunities for you to excel, even though you're qualified for that. So, you know, in the last two years, we have, I, I started a, a, a organization called the National Events Council, right? And it's 14 people spread across the United States that advocates on behalf of the LGBTQ community, um, black and brown people that are event professionals. Um, because of the fact that, you know, when we look at the the leadership within the event industry and the leadership is, is mainly with or, associations, right? And those associations are, are white facing, right? Most of the people on those boards, on those, on those councils are, are white people. And not to say that they're not qualified, but when you have associations and organizations that are membership based and have thousands of people that look like all of us, it behooves those organizations to have leaders that represent the people that are part of their associations, right? And, and we wanted to address that. We also wanted to address a lot of the corporations that are planning events and are using event professionals, but using the same people over and over again that don't look like me, that aren't in the same categories as myself and other people. And so that has been a difficult journey to, 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 to travel on, but... I feel like my life has been a, a, a phase where it's teaching me to be resilient, it's teaching me to be bold and courageous uh, in this space and to help other people who are like me travel through this journey and get to where they should be, get into the rooms that they ought to be in, have the opportunities that they aren't necessarily invited to have because of the fact that they may be queer and the fact that may be black, they may be brown, they may be Hispanic or something else. And so that has been really um, my passion, honestly, the last two years. So beyond owning his own business, managing his staff and traveling across the country to execute his company's events, Andrew is working to challenge the status quo in the event planning industry. But how is the National Events Council doing that? And what are the metrics and goals that the organization is trying to achieve? So we decided to look within our network and figure out who are the people we know that we feel would help us in different categories. So our council has DEI, you know, professionals that, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, we have venue uh, managers for like literally high visibility venues, especially in D.C. We have uh, media people. We have um, other planners, caterers, like it's so many people in diverse, you know, sectors of this event industry. And some of the people introduced us to other people. And so we, you know, talked to them and we felt that they were a good fit and they became, you know, a part of the organization. And, and we've literally been fighting on behalf of the event industry to ensure uh, practices are improved. And one of the things that we've done is we've started a venue advisory board. And, you know, some of the venues is the International Spy Museum. We have the Willard Intercontinental, like big names um, that are in the, the venue space that have agreed to say, you know what, we want to make sure that at least 20% of the people that are 
our vendor teams or our employees are diverse and, and they're in leadership positions, they're in managers positions um, to ensure that we're not just building awareness, but we're actually implementing uh, sustainable actions that represent the people who are in the job force. We have to start somewhere, right? Um, and I think that, you know, the 20% is very digestible um, for people to look at and say, hey, look, you know, when I look at my team, is anybody black or brown? Is anybody queer? Is anybody this or that? And if not, that's the start, you know, and it's just to take the, the steps necessary to change that. And then once that is changed, then what happens next, right? It's, it's the diversity of our clients. It's the diversity of thoughts and how we view people and, and, and process things and, and how we use our influence to challenge other people within our communities, within our networks. What do these metrics look like from a hiring sense? How do you actually work to increase representation in your own business? Andrew explains what representation means in his industry in his own words. What we're saying is that diversity is huge. It goes beyond a black and white thing, right? It goes into queer-owned businesses as well. It goes into brown-owned businesses as well. So it's taking accountability of that because you can't do you can't bring about change if you don't know what needs to be changed. And so when we, you know, have these conversations, yeah, go deeper than just saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hire a black owned business, but what are the other qualifiers of that black owned business? Are they queer? You know? And if they aren't look at, actually look for these business owners, because we use those, those photos, we use those experiences as case studies. We use it to be published in magazines and on blogs. But if you're not allowing us to be hired to do that, the representation isn't there. We can't say, hey, we're a queer-owned business to a blog or to a magazine for publishing and then expect us to have the notoriety or, or someone to find us. They're not going to find us as easily as if we were in that publication or that blog labeled as a minority-owned business or labeled as a queer-owned business. You know, so it's Google is our friend, but Google uses SEO to find people and to recommend people um, who are searching for particular things. And so that's important for us. I'm hopeful, but I definitely want us to be able to shine. I want us to be able to grow. I want us to be able to work and collaborate with each other. But I want other opportunities like this. I think that, you know, being on a podcast, you know, like this is, is important. And it allows other people to understand different, you know, sectors in this world and how we navigate. But at the same time, how we are really connected in a sense. Um, so that's what, I, that's what I want for us all, just to keep, you know, thinking outside of the box, think about how we can help other people that don't look like us, um, and just be creative, be imaginative, you know, in, in how we move and navigate from day to day. Act two, Allison and Tiff White. Allison and Tiff White are business owners living in Tucker, Georgia. Allison owns a photography business called Familiar Roots Photography, while Tiff is the founder of Tiff's Takeout, a weekly meal delivery service offering made-from-scratch meals. In addition to both being founders, Allison and Tiff have something else in common. They're married to one another. Here's Allison. Um, so we met in 2009 um, at a 
working women's queer bar that was called Bellissima. Um, and we both were, she was out with some friends. I was there with some friends and um, she walked up and I saw her smile and I decided to meet her. And pretty much the rest is history. Um, I met her and then, yeah, we had our first date the next night. Early on in their relationship, Tiff took a break from her career working in fast-paced kitchens within hotels and took a job delivering packages with FedEx. She met Allison. They started dating, and Allison challenged Tiff with a question. We were visiting my one of my best friends in North Carolina, and uh, we went on a hike, and she was trying to get to know me, and she's like, what is your, what is your dream? And uh, so I said, my dream is to, to own a restaurant and to have a business. My passion is cooking. And she's like, huh. And she <laughs> filed that away. And then while I was doing, um, we were in Candler Park. And while I was doing my, um, I started to deliver. I started to get back into the produce area of my life and I was delivering organic produce for this small business turnip truck and I was getting back into the restaurant business like knowing the chefs talking to the chefs getting them the best produce it it was getting my passion back because I was in the restaurants now I was actually there talking with them and having a relationship with the chef so my passion was starting to come back and then we were just kind of hanging out with our neighbors and having cocktails and just talking about, I think that this concept would work. And I saw how much people struggled to cook because we had a lot of friends that didn't know how to cook. And they were mothers and they had no time to hang out with their family because they had to come home and cook, vice versa for the men. And same with the single people that we knew, like, oh, I can't stand cooking. I'm so sick of going out to eat. So I'm like sitting with my friend Peter and we're on the porch and um, I'm like, I think this would work. I think if I cook for people and just put it in a warm and serve, that it would be so helpful. And then I could put a a restaurant flair on it because I have a background in, in fine dining. I could put a restaurant flair to it that it would, wouldn't be so bland. And, um, Allison was like, let's start doing that. You can do that and deliver and just kind of see if it works out of the kitchen for your friends. So I started cooking for my friends and they started ordering every day. And I know. And so I would cook it. I would cook way too much. So I, that's what I do too. I, I, give too much food. And so they were enjoying it and they were loving it. And she was like, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's make you legal. And it was really her that pushed it. While Tiff was building her business, Allison was also thinking about an idea for a side hustle. So I, um, my background has always been social work. Um, I've also, I've always been a trainer of some sort, even when I was working at Chuck E. Cheese at 15 years old. Um, and so I always have enjoyed the, I, I've always had a, wanted to train and also do every aspect of my job. There has been sort of a social work aspect to it um, with a sociology major. And I, right out of college, I was doing crisis advocacy work. I worked for 
um, DeKalb Ray Crisis Center here in Decatur, and I did that for over eight years, and I ran a, a 24-hour hotline um, and managed over 150 volunteers. And, of course, after a while, I got burnt out. Um, and with the passing of my mom, I decided I needed to do something that really made me happy. And so I quit that job, and I started to go to school um, to learn photography. I started taking classes, um, and then I started piecing together different jobs um, so that I could keep learning. And then I started to nanny for a little while, which gave me great subjects to work on um, for my photography. And I've grown it since from there. Um, and then I just started, you know, getting hired, doing, you know, doing it for friends. And then as word of um, word of mouth traveled, um, I have quite a, a big client base that returns every year for holiday photos. I've done, you know, weddings. I've also started another side gig um, for weddings <laughs> <laughs> um, with another photographer. Yes. So, um, and then I've, through word of mouth, I've been doing a lot of headshots. I also do photography for designers. Um, someone I'm working with very closely um, and following her project and her career um, growth. While growing their individual businesses, Allison and Tiff have had the support of not only each other, but their community as a whole. Moving from Ohio to Atlanta, Tiff was met with a welcoming community of like-minded women. I have the background in the restaurants and majority... Well, not majority, but a lot of gay and lesbians are in my business. So that was helpful, but um, coming out was difficult at my age because um, it wasn't accepted as much up in the Midwest. And surprisingly, when I came to this city, Atlanta, it was more acceptable. Um, so a small town of Canton, Ohio... It wasn't like, there wasn't a lot of pride. I have to go up to Cleveland to have some pride, Cleveland, Ohio. And because um, 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 I was shocked how, ouch, she was very like, we held hands going down the street. <laughs> I would have never done that in Canton, Ohio, ever, um, back in the day when I came out. So um, I do think it's changed for the better. Um, of course, we're going to have hiccups everywhere. Um, but in my my business, like I said, Levin, um, that I never thought I'd be working in a kitchen that was geared towards minority, woman, queer-owned businesses. And that is amazing. That is amazing. And, and somebody had to start that, and great. While Tiff has the community in her kitchen for encouragement and support, Allison has had a different path to her side hustle, working a full-time job while also managing her photography business. But we've always had to have other other side gigs to support these. So I have a another, now it's full-time. I always I was part-time, part-time, part-time with them because um, I was doing my photography. <clears throat> and they have, each time they ask me to increase my hours, I'm like, that's fine as long as I can still do my photography. And they have been, it's out of D.C., I work from home and they let me be flexible with my hours so that I can still do my photography. So I would not, we would not be owning a home. Yeah. I would not be able to help her grow her business. Right. If I was not able to also have this other job. As two lesbian business owners living and breathing the entrepreneurial life within their careers and their marriage, 
What do they have to say about the proliferation of Pride Month and what more can be done to amplify queer voices? And the more you can put it out there, the more um, we are feel seen. Um, you know, the fact that you can go, before it was just Target that had Pride stuff. Now it's everywhere. Um, and so I definitely love that. Now, do I think that they're, do I hope that their business practices are matching up with their marketing? Um, 100%, I hope so. Um, I know that there are different organizations, like, for example, I, you know, I'll use Macy's. Um, they have chosen different vendors and artists. Like, I have a bag um, that supports transgender rights. So there are some people who are, some of these corporations that I know are making actual um, conscientious decisions and in supporting local businesses. And I think that's the other thing too. I think that we are going in the same, the right direction. Um, and I also think that it's important that people know or make a, make, um, a deliberate attempt to continue to, to buy from us or to use us because we are gay or because we are women. Um, these are great things. I mean, just in general, we know that women make less than men, you know, so it's, it's, I, we still have a long way to go and we've come a long way. Um, so I think that there is this misconception in the general population that because we have marriage equality, um, that everything is fine and dandy, but there are still so many people killing themselves because their family doesn't accept them. There are so many people that are, you know, on the streets because their family doesn't accept them. So Pride is still very important, and, and you know we don't come out to. Yes, the rainbow stuff is fun to wear, but that's not why we're all showing up. We're showing up to show all the people, all the people from all these other cities in Georgia where it's not normal, you know, or accepted rather, um, that they have a place to, to be who they are. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. Act three, Luis Gramajo. Luis Gramajo is a co-founder of Wonderkex, an Austin-based cookie company. Uh, so my name is Luis Gramajo, and I am from Guatemala. Me and my husband are co-founders of Wunderkeks, and we're an e-commerce business, and we ship uh, cookies nationwide. And also we are in a mission of um, being a signifier of a safe space. Wonderkicks has been growing exponentially since their appearance at South by Southwest. Their cookies were most recently a part of the Oscar gift bags. But when Luis and his husband, Hans, announced a Pride Month collaboration with the Love Loud Foundation, they experienced a backlash that took them by surprise. I remember that in the, in the, it was May 29th that we sent out the email announcing that we were doing the, the Pride collaboration, donating funds. 
And immediately in two hours, we lost 10% of our, of our subscribers. Um, and for the first two weeks in June, we started uh, receiving emails, comments, uh, DMs, messages everywhere. I hope you guys die. If I knew that you were gay, I would never buy your cookies. Um, if you get these cookies, they're going to give you AIDS. And it was very scary. It was very, very frustrating for us. But and we got to talk to to um, Anthony Ramos from GLAD. He's the head of communications from GLAD because we didn't know what to do. We were like, okay, I think that we did something really wrong. We are messing with our business with everything that we were building. And we were, more than that, we were shocked that that was happening again, because back in Guatemala, I mean, you can understand it, but here in the States where you feel free and you, you supposedly you are in a safe space and this happens, it was very shocking for us. And actually, he what, what he said is like, don't worry, this is very common. Just get it together, give it a little time, and you're going to see that people are going to start coming around. And because I was telling him, look, I do want to do this. I'm not going to go back in the closet. We're refusing to do that. We already went there and it's not fun. So let's keep on going. Let's keep on trying. This experience could have slowed down the team at Wonderkicks and put a dent in their pride. A few days after the campaign was announced, customer feedback started changing. And two weeks after, we started receiving emails mostly from parents thanking us for what we were doing, thanking us for the voice that we were creating and that we were speaking out. And because they knew that their son was gay, but uh, he hasn't come out to them, but show, like giving him the, the Pride Special Edition cookies was a way to say to, say to him, I'm with you, I support you, and you're going to be fine. And that's when we understood that that was our mission as a company, to create safe spaces and to become that signifier of a, of a safe space around our brand. So every time that you see someone with a pink bright box, eating a cookie, with a sticker on their water bottle, wearing a t-shirt that says Wunderkeks, you know that they're allies and that you could be safe around them. And the message that we were delivering, we we realized that it wasn't just having great cookies or a great product, but it went way farther. It went beyond that. And the message that we want to deliver now is the importance of having these conversations and why it's important to celebrate pride still in 2022, because this is happening. It's not happening Obviously in Austin, it's not happening in Los Angeles, in New York. Like these are little bubbles that this is very accepted and you, you, you're you fine there. But and actually it did happen to us that we forgot because we were living in this bubble and when it got popped and we realized that it was still happening there and that 50 miles from here, it's a whole different story. And that's why we should celebrate pride. That's what, what why I, I would say that most importantly, that's why straight people should start celebrating pride with us, showing 
allyship, showing the support and showing that we could be we could be safe around them. Because child, the, the times they have to change. This turn of events changed how Luis saw the business and shaped the mission of Wonderkex to be a safe space for their customers and for the public in general. So we're starting to raising funds for our, our seat round. We started like a month and a half ago. We're raising $5 million. So if you're out there and you have some money to spare, <laughs> I mean, no, but uh, so one, one, one thing led to another. We ended up having a meeting with Jeff Furman, one of the founders of Ben & Jerry's on a Monday. And just to pick his brain out, they are mission driven all the way. If someone knows how to deliver a message and how important that is, it's him. So we were talking with him. We were just picking his brain. Uh, he loved what we were doing. He tried the cookies and he loved them. And we left it there. It was really nice to meet him. Uh, four days after we received an email uh, saying that he would be very excited to be uh, part of our advisory board because he felt like he saw himself in our in us when they were starting Ben and Jerry's and he saw the passion that we had not only for the company that we were building but also for the essence of the company that we have and creating safe spaces for him was very important uh, because of the times that we're living in and he he just believed in in the mission that we have so that's how we ended up um, teaming up with him but what he told us is that he was like I'm concerned because you need to be to, you need to realize that both of you to bring safe spaces to everyone you are going to be put in an unsafe space and you have to be ready for that and our answer was like, yes, we are from Guatemala <laughs> and we've always been in an unsafe space. So we know what that is. And we already experienced it here last Friday and we are ready to, to take it. And he was like, it's very important for you guys to tell your story now, because when you start telling your story, you're going to let people open to you and they are going to start telling you their story because everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different type of safe space that they need. And we, we need to also, yes, we need to tell our story, but we need to listen to their, their story to see how we can help them. So it's a very beautiful thing if you, if you see the whole picture, because it's a very, very huge mission that we have, and we do want to change the world. And I think that it's doable. And we just need to talk and talk and listen. That's, that's the key. I always say that being gay and being an immigrant, it's our superpower. It has been our superpower since day one that we moved here because we have worked twice as much to survive we came to this country with hands three years and a half ago with no contacts, with nothing but our two luggages and four dogs. We were sleeping in an air mattress for a month and our dining dining table, our, our 
TV table, TV stand. It was like an our table for the farmer's market. It was the same plastic table that we used to follow and put it in the car. And and it's it's hard and I'm very proud of us because we, we did it in three years and a half and we ended up teaming up with Dan Reynolds, meeting Busy Phillips, uh, ended up ended up in the in the Oscars bags and and it takes commitment and it takes we bootstrap the whole thing. Um, and and it's hard. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business Podcast. To learn more about Hiscox Small Business Insurance and how they support LGBTQIA plus small businesses, visit the Hiscox blog at www.hiscox, that's H-I-S-C-O-X dot com forward slash blog.